Good evening, everybody, pundits. It'll be good morning by the time you listen to it. Welcome to the Straight After the Match Gunners Town Pub podcast. Tonight, we actually have four of us uh, in the bar, which is unusual. So, welcome to Paul Hepka. Some of you will know as at Invinciblog, Kaya Kayak, Kanak, uh, and Mike McDonald. So, all four of us tonight are actually Gunners Town writers. So, uh, for the first time, I think, in the Gunners Town podcast, we are entirety of writers from our wonderful wonderful blog um so we won it wasn't pretty uh there's a lot of negatives to talk about i'm sure um but let's start with the the uh, changes in changes in structure well sorry changes in formation let's talk about the uh, the inclusion of Saka over maitland niles i think and the in the inclusion of sabios over el Nenny. let's start with you mike were you surprised or was that obvious to you uh, it wasn't obvious to me. It was obvious to Paul, actually, on uh, the midweek when, when we did our preview. He was the one that picked that one out. We were talking about how to get around their block and I was chucking all kinds of suggestions out. And, and Paul made the great point of uh, playing Saka, be it left back, left wing back, you know, somewhere on the left, because, you know, he's the one that's uh, more offensively um, uh, Adept, I suppose, is a good word. Um, more so maybe than Maitland-Niles, more of a natural. And he might find it easier to get around their deep block and, and in behind them. Um, didn't really get in behind them in that regard, but, but Saka was the difference maker, I thought, as well, throughout the game. He was the one, if something was going to happen, and it was very sporadic, but if something was going to happen, it was going to come from Saka, and it did. So good, kudos, Paul. <laughs> Indeed. What about what about Sabias Ronani? Was that obvious, Paul? Um, I thought Sabias. I think we needed somebody like Sabias just to break, you know, to break those lines, um, you know, to put the through ball through. Um, and it just wasn't the same kind of snappy Sabias that I think we've seen of late. I, I think maybe it's just a sharpness from from not starting and not playing as much. Um, I felt that he. There were times when he looks like he's 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 playing underwater. <laughs> he looks a bit slow, but you know, um, um, not as snappy as he can be. And his passes, I don't know. For me, generally, I find them quite kind of soft. I don't find he has like a particularly strong pass, and I think it's in- intercepted quite a few times. A lack of zip, a lack of zip and snap and crackle and pop. <laughs> so, Kaya, what did you think about Sebastian? I agree with Paul. I thought he was off his game. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was quite harsh, actually, given how surprisingly amazing El Nei played against Liverpool in the Community Shield and Fulham last week to see Tobias come in for him. But I did get it. When you're playing teams like West Ham, who, no disrespect to them, are a lesser team in the kind of team you have to be beating at home if you want to be qualified for the Champions League. Playing a back three and then two defensive-minded midfielders in El Nei and Jacker might be a bit overkill. So I got the decision to play Tobias as a slightly more offensive-minded presence in the middle of the park but like Paul was saying I didn't really think it was his best game tonight and then of course you know to show us all he provides this at the end to win the game yeah I thought uh, I, I think um the difference I was actually screaming for El Nenny at one point because the the, the pace of passing in the first half and, and the, the number of touches required by both Tobias and Shaka was extremely frustrating and whether you like El Nenny or not last week he literally was one touch and released the ball it's always quick release it's never creative he doesn't do that he just keeps the keeps the momentum and I thought that was lacking between Shaka and Tobias neither of them seemed to know who was going to be the deepest and who was going to be picking up and they were they were alternating and as a result neither of them were were 
as far advanced as we might have liked them to be. I think that would be a fair assessment. But uh, yeah, that no, was interesting. So what about, I thought another bit of talking point, and I don't think he did himself any favours when he came on. I mean, Willian looked sharp for me at the beginning, but faded quite dramatically. But Pepe for me did just absolutely nothing when he came on. You were hoping for a big impression. What did you think of Pepe's introduction and, and Willian generally, Kaya? I mean, there was one instance when Pepe came on and we've been under the cross for about 10, 15 minutes. West Ham were really pummeling us with these crosses, our crosses and crosses. And then uh, I can't remember exactly how the ball got to him on the counter attack, but Pepe has a chance, one-on-one, I think it's up against uh, either Cresswell or Matawaki, just to run down the line, get the ball up the pitch, and he dribbles the ball straight out of play. Oh, and when yeah. you see that as a defender, it's so frustrating. Because, uh, you're relying on these guys, you know, Willie and Pepe, Aubameyang and Lacazette, the forward players, just to take the stress off the defence in those kind of situations. And Pepe, like you say, offered very little when he came on. I thought his set-piece delivery, which is normally really good, was really poor. The corners didn't get past the first man. But that said, I didn't think Willian managed to reach the heights of his performance last week against Fulham when he was so fantastic and getting all those assists. I think West Ham did a really good job on just sitting so far deep that there was no real... The gap between West Ham's midfield and their own back three were so small that there was no real spaces and pockets for Willian to pick up like he was doing in the Fulham game last week. So um, probably a night to get the vote for both of them, to be honest. Yeah, Mike, I mean, tactically, I thought... it. William wasn't staying out wide and was, you know, as you've said, and I know I believe as well, I think long-term William wants to play through the middle or just behind the striker. I thought he was taking up a lot of good positions, but it doesn't seem to be working. And yet it seemed when Arteta gave Pepe instruction, Pepe was almost hugging the touchline for the last 15 minutes. So it seemed like, like it was almost like there was an instruction, I want you to try and do something different to what William was doing. Did you see it that way? Yeah, I did, exactly. I, I saw William trying to play between the lines and it became too predictable um, I've got a Chelsea mate who says that he's a highly Why? frustrated player. Um, no, I, I binned him. He lives in the shed out back. Don't worry, Dave. <laughs> years ago, he's he's back there. But occasionally I let him out and ask him a question. He told me that William is elite, um, potentially elite, and um, will frustrate you because you know he is elite. But yet he looks like he will have uh, lazy performances every once in a while. And I think it's his body language as well. I don't know if it's lazy or just laid back. He comes across as being very laid back. But he was he was between the lines, and I think it was a combination of uh, Jacques and Ceballos that you very rightly said that taking too long to move the ball um, meant that it was William on the right and Saka on the left. He were tucked inside almost as a square, taking too long to give him the ball. That was... Problem one and problem two was William didn't offer any variation. You know, Abamyang um, was offering variation, coming short, run behind, going wide left, in behind, coming short. William was coming short and never running behind. So I felt that he was just too easy to pick up, therefore almost anonymous. And then when Pepe comes on, well, Pepe is the king of making football look difficult. A guy who's an enigma. He's a fabulous talent. But he do- everything he does in my head is, is too difficult. Uh, more difficult than it ever needs to be. Love to have a chance to coach him. and and But, yeah, anyway. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the one thing, I mean, I, the last thing I wrote, actually, and I got bored of writing was, you know, why is he never on the left? I, I simply, very, very simple, you know, he's left-footed. You know, I just want a Bamiang, a Pepe, or whoever it is, to just switch flanks now and again. It happened for a brief time in the match when Willian 
was on the left and Aubameyang was on the right, probably from a corner and he just stayed that way for a while. But I just simply don't understand why Pepe always has to play on the right. And if he's starting on the right, why can't we just have a bit of variation? Because you know he can beat a fullback, but he can't yeah. use his right foot. So what's the point of beating a fullback and then cutting back every time? That's what I don't get. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the easiest way, Dave, to beat a deep block, as we talked about midweek, is to go around the outside of it. And if you've got talented wingers, you know, William never put himself in a position, Dave, where he was one-on-one with the player and to beat him on the outside, which is William's strength, which was a shame. And as you're right, if you had William on the right doing that, Pepe on the left, go around the block on the outside and then you can cause havoc, cut in. And now you've got all kinds of options. Didn't happen, though. No, it was very frustrating. I got a lot of um, stick for my only... I don't tweet during the game very often, if you saw it. I, I tweeted that I didn't think Gabriel was vaguely ready and... Everyone's in, you know, screaming at me because he's probably our best defender. What, what I didn't mean he's not ready to play for Arsenal. I just meant he wasn't ready to be the main man. And I yeah. thought there was he wasn't ready to play 90 minutes top level in the Premier League. And that, that was what he had to do today. He was under pressure all the time. It was definitely a penalty he gave away, no question. Uh, and there's been a couple of clumsy clearances. You know, and I'm not saying he's not going to be a great player. But when you're playing alongside Klaas in action holding, you're you you are going to have in the centre. You are going to have to be the main man. And I just don't I don't think he's ready to be a main man. So I don't know what you think, Paul. But I was quite relieved to see David Luiz fitting on the pitch at the end and looking, you know, quite happy to be there. I just think Gabriel is not going to be the middle player in a three long term. I can't see that. What do you think, Paul? I think it's worth. Um, I agree with you completely. Um, I think he had an astounding game, and I think. What's amazing is looking at all the aspects that he has to it, his clearances, his blocking, his tackling, his shepherding people out. I mean, he's got a very well-rounded, like, and a strength and a presence. I don't know if you saw him kind of just throw that one guy over his shoulder as if he didn't exist. I mean, because we were being bullied, frankly, you know, by their forwards. So it was great to see somebody who's got, you know, has got a little bit of beef, you know, that can stand up to it. But I think it's worth pointing out the fact that Tierney was injured in this. So I think in Arteta's defence, we really don't think Kolasinac was anywhere in the equation. And the pressure that that put on kind of Gabriel, you know, Mikel has had a few games where he's, um, you know, he's had like really late injuries and had to make, you know, some some kind of late last minute kind of adjustments. So in his defence, I think that might have been why things didn't kind of flow quite as well as they did. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how much... Would have changed it. Yeah, I just had a question for you boys. Why did Kalasnach play? Why would you not play David Luiz in the centre, which is his favourite position? Gabriel to the left of him, which is his favourite position, and then you've gone and solved the problem. It seemed really odd that uh, you'd keep Gabriel, as Dave said, who's a non-English speaking player and in pressure in a pressure situation, playing a home game in the centre, trying to organise, but he can't speak the language. As a youngster as well, that just seems really no, odd. Why, I mean, no, why he did it was Tierney, Tierney and Maitland-Niles have been doing that overlapping interchanging position. David Gabriel can't do that. Gabriel isn't a ball playing, coming out, rushing forward, which is what Tierney's been doing. Maitland-Niles have been dropping in, they've been interchanging. And obviously that's that's why, I'm assuming, but it didn't work. Uh, what, what's, what's, what's intriguing me, I don't know what you think, Kaya, is I think most of us would have assumed given pre-season games and how long he's been with the Arsenal camp, that Saliba would have been ahead of Gabriel. I mean, they both played and received plaudits in the same league. One's a little bit older, fair enough. One's Brazilian, one's you know, French. But, but I thought 
Saliba would be ahead, and yet Saliba's not even getting a look in. He's not making the bench. I know he played for the under-23s last night. Any theories on why that might be? I know he wasn't an Arteta signing, but... Yeah, I mean, I think that's largely just because of the lack of French football that they've been. Obviously, their league got cancelled in March, and it never came back. Yeah, but I think with Gabriel straight in the team. Same with Gabriel, true. But I think the difference with Saliba is he had a lot of injuries last season. A lot of quite serious injuries last season that kept him out for I think it was a grand total of six months altogether he missed which Gabriel just didn't have to deal with as an issue and you don't want to be rushing in this guy obviously there's also a three-year age gap between them to leave it's still only 19 whereas Gabriel's a little bit more experienced at 22. But on top of that I think that I don't know what you guys think I wanted to maybe ask you about this was um, the idea of obviously Maitland Niles has played pretty much every position on the pitch but the one position he's never played in has been centre-back and Obviously, Kalasnach, when he was going forward, is doing that overlapping fullback role. It was something that he really struggled with, particularly when he got into the final third. I wonder what you guys might think about maybe if Tierney's injury is going to be a long-term one and Kalasnach is on his way out the door. And we all agree that Gabriel can't do that role. What do we think about Maitland-Niles maybe filling in on that left side of central defence and overlapping in the way he was doing, in the way Tierney's been doing? I'll tell you what you could do rather than play him on his wrong foot still, just do that same thing, but do it on the right-hand side of the pitch and play Maitland-Niles on the right of a three, interchanging with Bellerin. That might work better than, you know, pushing him on his wrong foot if he's going to play in that position. I don't feel, um, I mean, as much as I admire Maitland-Niles' um, utility, um, I'm not sure that him being in one of those central back roles is, I don't know if he has the the... the I don't know that um, he'd have to, you know, like severely restrict his game and his desire to move forward and stuff and, and hold that kind of back line. I'm just not sure it's something you'd want to ask of him. Um, well, yeah, I, but if you were playing Louise in the centre, Gabriel on the left and Maitland-Niles in the what Tierney was playing, it's very free. You know, the way they play it just, it, you know, it rotates. If, if Maitland-Niles went forward, it becomes a back four or back yeah. you know, the, the, the left side would switch over. But, yeah, I don't think Arteta would try it. Yeah, um, I mean, much, it was just... Yeah, sorry. Um, how much do you think um, Arteta was surprised by the way Moyes set up and played this game? Because I felt that they were they were adventurous. I think that they, um, they were really... Um, they had a lot of um, momentum, that they were quite direct. I think that, that ended up making Saka... You know, like, you know, when he was attacking, he suddenly had to be back in defence. And when he was in defence, he suddenly had to be in attack because their transition was so quick that I don't think he had the luxury of being, you know, doing those two things. And I think a lot of was asked of him. And that's kind of why I think our attack on our defence kind of was a little weak because he was, a lot of the time, he was stuck in no man's land. And I think that was down to West Ham being as direct and kind of... Um, well, they, forward- they, pre- they pressed very well. And I thought that was something that was noticeably <laughs> lacking, you know, from our game today, even particularly at the start, we let them. We came back into the game in the first half, but we let them start very well. And I thought that the press wasn't there from Arsenal today for some reason. It's been noticeably there a lot in in packs. We stuck. We did it in that period in the first half where we were doing well. We were put, we were forcing West Ham to play long a lot, Mike. I thought, but then we seemed to fade off that again and let them back into it. Yeah, well, I thought that um, the big difference for me defensively was against Fulham. Uh, Gabriel was holding the line about 40 yards out when we were being attacked and and holding it there. And we went back to uh, backing off the David Luiz disease, which led to the, uh, their goal. Uh, and that, that was our mode today. And I didn't understand why we did that, because we weren't being... 
I'm talking about not just being counter-attacked, you know, three on three. I know you need to back off in that scenario because you don't have enough numbers. But any time West Ham broke forward, we backed off to the top of our box. And we didn't do that against Fulham. It's really a really odd thing uh, to do. It must be it must be the lack of Tierney then, mustn't it? Because it, it, maybe he's the communicator. Maybe he's the one who's constantly talking, perhaps. Um, you know, a bit more experience. What about these? Something that I wanted to talk about, I wrote down, and we're changing the subject completely. Thank you. I'm the host. I'm allowed to do that. Um, <laughs> there's something in our group chat when we were talking about the Leno uh, Martinez dilemma, and we've all written about it, and people have talked about it, and they've made the, the club's made a decision. One of the things that one of our other um, um, colleagues was said was that the reason why he wanted Martinez to stay was because Martinez is exemplary with his feet and Leno's nowhere near at that level. I particularly watched Leno from the first and I thought he did he did he didn't put a single foot wrong with his feet today. Um and and okay we, we didn't score from those moves started from Leno as we had from Martinez but I thought he was very very good on the ground today. In fact he was worse on you know the punching was a bit but I thought on the ground he was very very good. Did you think that Kai I didn't do anything wrong for me? Playing out in defence. Yeah. Well, I also noticed something quite interesting, particularly at the start of the second half, with how high Leno's position was. Obviously, there was that commentators picked up on it, didn't yeah. they? It was very. Uh... Yeah. It was a little bit scary seeing Leno in the centre circle <laughs> heading the ball far forward and into their half. But the way that he stayed there and was so far away from the goal, sort of seeing the I know German goalkeepers is quite a lazy comparison, but the Manuel Neuer role of just the sweeper keeper so much further up the pitch and. Leno is not bad with his feet. We have to remember when he first came into the team, the reason he, obviously Czech got injured, but the reason he was chosen was because he was better with his feet than Czech ever was. Obviously, may well just be a step above, but Leno's not a bad goalkeeper with his feet, and he can still be the kind of guy to start Arsenal attacks from deep. There wasn't any sort of trademark Arteta goal like we saw with the Aubameyang goals against Liverpool and against Fulham, but that's not going to happen every week, and I think as long as you've got someone who's capable with their feet and capable enough to start those attachment deep, then I think we'll be fine in the goalkeeper position. Yeah. Are we all comfortable with the club decision on Don Martinez? Well, um, it, is, it is, isn't it? But I mean, for me, uh, I guess there was no market for Leno because I do not understand two goalkeepers that are so close in level and one's valued probably 25 to 30 million higher uh, is where I think Leno is a 45, 50 million goalkeeper. Why you don't sell the one that would make you enough to buy a midfield all on its own. But I guess, I mean, so aside from selling into Chelsea or Manchester United, who in my opinion both need a goalkeeper and you don't really want to have to do that, is there a market yet for Bernd Leno? Because Manuel Neuer at Munich, which I think is where he's going to end up long term, is uh, is back on his game. So, um I didn't, you know, I guess I understood it, but I, I, I wish that Martinez was still here, if I'm being totally honest. Paul? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, just just looking at exactly what happened in the game, Leno was good with, with his feet. Um, but there were three or four times when he came out to punch it. Um, and there was one time when he toppled over, I think it was Gabriel, and landed on his head upside down and the ball squirted it's out. And bias. Then yeah, it's a bias back to bias. You know, there, those were kind of moments that, I mean, we've always, when when Emmy was playing, we were boasting how safe his hand seemed and how everything just stuck to him. You know, he caught it, he didn't punch it into danger. He just seemed to have more of a commanding um, ability to catch the ball in those kind of dangerous situations. And I couldn't help think about that when I saw this. But, you know, I just, I've got to just trust that between Arteta and... Well, and I guess also we, have to, we also have to 
to recognise we're not playing with a settled back two or back three yet, which whichever we end up with, it's not settled at the moment. The other thing I think everyone's forgotten, and I'll make a prediction for you, Emmy Martinez won't be Aston Villa's number one keeper by the second half of the season. Because Tom Heaton is the best English goalkeeper, in my opinion. Everyone's forgotten he's even at Aston Villa. He's just injured. I know, and no one's even mentioned it. I think Tom Heaton is an exceptional goalkeeper. I think he should be England's goalkeeper. And um, everyone's forgotten about him just because he's out injured. So oh, there's a prediction for you. We could revisit that in a few months' time when Tom Heaton's fit. Um, the other thing I picked up on, I wrote down early on, and it's something that you pick up on because um, obviously there's no cloud, uh, crowds. How noticeable for me how much coaching Arteta was doing from the touchline, particularly in the first half when things weren't going well. I mean, he's literally coaching individual players. You could hear him call their names. Did you just pick up on that, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I think he's been doing it for, ever since the restart. Um, and it's good. We talked about it again on the pod uh, midweek and how that's advantageous to Arsenal right now uh, to have uh, no crowd because you've got a coach that not just that he's coaching because all, all of them try, but one that the players actually listen to, you know? Mm. Lost you for a second then, Mike. Sorry. It's all right. Sorry. It's all right. Kai, what do you yeah. think? Did you, did you pick up on that? Did you notice that a lot? Yeah, I mean, it's like Mike was saying, it's really something you can hear without the fans in the stadium. You can hear him. I mean, obviously the crowd noise is being fed in on the TV commentary, but you can hear him shout, Danny, 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 every 30 seconds. It's Danny, Danny, Danny. It's always the first thing to get the brunt of it. I don't know if it's because in that first half, on the right side of midfield, it's a little bit closer, but there's always someone, there's always, you know, He's such a modern manager, speaks French, Spanish. But then, you uh, see, I remember, I remember years ago, the, the, in fact, it was a game they referred to in the commentary when we lost the first game of the season to uh, uh, Billich's West Ham. And I was, yeah. where I sit, Paul knows where I sit, I'm like four rows in the pit uh, in, my, in my seat. And uh, I was, Billich was 10 yards from me most of the game. And he was literally, he was even coaching where the player should throw the throw in. And it was, when you see that, on one side of the dugout and Benger on the other side, who did literally doesn't say a word for the whole game. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but it, it, for me, it was the difference on that day. And uh, and I remember tweeting about it and getting a lot of stick from people, you know, oh, you know, just because he shouts a lot doesn't make him a good manager. It wasn't the shouting, it was the individual instructions to players and making tweaks. And you could actually, because I was so close, I could actually hear it. And I think that's what Arteta's like. I think he will tweak and make changes from the touchline during a game. Yeah, he's a, very, he's a very intense guy, isn't he? So that, that's what he's... His mantra on the touchline is he's always prowling up and down. He never sits still. Wenger had the ethos of, you know, let the players do what they want, trust in the players' confidence in them. I said, I'm not saying he's not, not got the trust in any of the players, but his ethos is a lot more specific and he's a lot more demanding what he wants from the players. So he's going to be shouting a lot more. I mean, yeah, to be expected. Sorry, couple, you were... Yeah, sorry. There were a couple of moments, um, you know, when the camera... When we were losing control, West Ham were pretty much on top of us for like most of the second half. And there was a, a cutback to Arteta and he looked noticeably worried on the sideline. And I think in that moment, I kind of thought, I hope that as Arsenal fans that we can, like, you know, he's not the Messiah. <laughs> it might feel like it, having delivered two trophies. <laughs> he's just a very naughty boy. <laughs> very naughty boy. No, I mean, I'm serious though. It's like, um, you know, I just... We're the type of you know crowd that can rip somebody's head off when they make a mistake, and I just hope that um, I hope that we let Arteta also find his feet in this, you know, because um, it's a tough league. There've been some amazing additions to the league this year. I think the teams we're going to play are all going to give us a severe fright. I mean, look at what Palace did to United. You know, Tottenham were overturned. 
you know, there's there's going to be a lot of upsets, and I just hope that we're ready for one of those maybe happening to us, and how we react to that is going to be really important. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we've got a big test next week. We've got a nice, well, I was going to a nice long rest because we don't know what t- sort of team you'll play against Leicester midweek. Um, but certainly Premier League-wise, we've got, we don't play till a week on Monday. But that's a big test. If we've got nine points after the first three games, I think we'll all be very, very happy. Long term, though, we, we've got a few more weeks. We've got, like, well, three weeks, is it, of the left transfer window? And everyone's obviously debating the, which is more of a priority, you know, whether it's Ua misses or whether it's Thomas Partey. Um, based on what you saw today, where we weren't playing well and we were struggling to break down, you know, a low block and a very organised defence, you know, let's let's go around the... Uh, so we'll start with Mike. Who's the priority if we're signing one based on what you saw today? Is it Partey? Well, is it Ua? Uh, I, I think we'll get both. Um, I, but I will, tell, I will say that... I didn't ask you that. I know. <laughs> Sorry. There. Um, if I had, if I could only get one Christmas present and not two, Dave, I would go for Thomas Party because I think he his game is more rounded. He's got the physicality, uh, the positional sense, the work ethic, having played for Simeone, and he's got the ball progression, which uh, our who are um, has got. Um, so that's what I would do. But I think there's a great need for both. I, th- I thought that that game just stunk of somebody needing to take the initiative. And I feel like Estemawari uh, is somebody that takes the initiative and drives at players um, and, and can handle tight spaces and such. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of how I wish William would have been for us today, but he seemed to just fade into the background. So um, and maybe I'm answering the question there. In short, because of William, for him, him being technically a very similar player, if you wanted to play a 4-3-3, you could play William and get a similar product to um, our in the midfield. So Thomas Partey would bring that physicality and discipline. So, yeah, Thomas Partey. Kaya? I have to echo, Mike. I mean, tonight, he's an easy target, but I thought Granit Xhaka had a really poor game. I thought his passing was quite off and I thought he was quite weak in a few of the tackles. And I think we do miss someone who is, like Mike was saying, a very physical presence in the middle of the park and someone who can just carry the ball forward away from defence in times when we're really under the cost, someone who can just sort of get the ball out of there, away from the back four, and just protect us a bit more, is what we need, particularly against teams that are a lot more direct and are going to put us under the cost in ways that we're not comfortable with, like West Ham. Honestly, I think Awar is obviously a player we need in terms of a creative spark in the midfield, but something we definitely need from midfield, and it's a controversial opinion because obviously everyone's got their heart set on Awar now because the, the headline seems to have decided that he's moving to Arsenal and that seems imminent, but I think that we need, in terms of a creative player and a more offensively minded midfielder, we need more goals from the midfield. Obviously, last season, we only got one. The top scorer, or joint top scorer, was, you know, Willick Tavares-Shaka between them all got one. I think Torreira got one as well. Our goal-scoring record isn't great with Leon, And I think party is definitely the priority. I just don't know if our is specifically what we need. I don't know if he's offering that much different from what we've got right now. Paul? Um... I was just going to mention that I think we need goals. And um, as much as Thomas Partey is a kind of player that you can build a team around, I think there's sacrifices that would be made there and players that, that are kind of, I don't know, if I had to choose one, I mean, I'd rather have both. But I think that, I think right now I would probably choose Awa. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with the other two. To be honest. I would go party all day. I mean, we haven't had a player like that since Vieira. And it would be a game changer for us, you know, someone who's going to pick the game up by the scruff of the neck when it's not going well like today and make things change. And I just 
well, the, the, the follow-on question for me, you know, at the end of last season, I thought Tobias and Shaka did very, very well together. But I've never at any point felt this is a long-term solution for Arsenal Football Club. You know, play whether it whether it's whether it's in four two three one or or, or or the current formation, those two together in central midfield, central midfield is two one pace for me, and, yeah. and and that's never going to change. There's nothing either of them can do that's going to change my opinion. And I like them both as individual players, but for me, whether it's four three three this season, or whether it's four two three one, or whether it's what we're doing now, one of those should play and not both in every game. Everyone Which agree? One? agree. Which one? Well, I would alternate it depending on who we're playing, you know. Uh, yeah. But I, if it if it was my choice right now, I would probably go to buy us some party as a, you know, uh, and have Shaka as first change. I do yeah. happen to know that Arteta is very taken with Mohamed El Nani in training, though. Um, so that's we why people are, that's why people are think are doubting the party thing now, and, and everyone's throwing all their eggs in the the Ewer basket. Um, I'm just still convinced party's coming, and I'm not convinced the hour is. But we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, we're we're um, we're running short of time. One question, one question. I mean, I'm not going to ask for predictions because there'll be other pods for the Liverpool game. But how much of a team do we put out against Leicester, and how important is this to us, or to you individually? So I'll start with Kai. Do we do we go half and half? Do we go go a whole second team, or do we go full guns blazing, given that we've got until next Monday? Kaya? Okay, Paul? Um, I think that... Oh, Kaya's back. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I just cut out for a little second. No. Kaya, come back in a minute. Paul, what would you do against Leicester? We don't actually know what day, but I think it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday. I think um, I think Arteta needs to, um, you know, give the second string an opportunity to shine. I'd say not quite half-half, you know... Um, Maybe, yeah, half-half would be pretty good. I think bring five youngsters and, you know, give them a good run. Um, and some of the second-string starters, you know, um, I'd I put them on, you know, the older Mike? guys. Mike, what would you do against Leicester? Uh, same as Paul. I would do half-and-half. Half. You know, David Luiz hasn't really played yet, so put him in the middle and let him organise, place Lieber to his right, give him an opportunity, see what he looks like. Um you know, uh, you've got um, not many options in the midfield uh, right now unless we sign somebody quickly on, on Monday, Tuesday. Um, very interesting to see what happens with the Guendouzi situation because it looks like Torreira is not getting in the squad because he's living. Guendouzi isn't, isn't as um, at the door as Torreira right now. So just because we need somebody to play midfield, I wonder if Guendouzi gets a look. Um, well, he, called Willock and, uh, the, he called Willock onto the bench instead ahead of Guendouzi today, didn't he? He did. So you could do El Nenny and Willock and do something like that. And then up front, you know, Nicotier instead of Lacazette is sort of uh, going to start each week. I don't think that matters. Pepe would need a run out. So if you had Pepe in here, picking this out and go Nelson, and that was your front three, that's a pretty darn good front three for a Carabao Cup game. And then you've got El Nenny and Willock. And then you've got, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, Maitland Niles, who didn't play today. Maybe you try him. Uh, I'd, love, I'd love to see him try and play his natural five, play as a right wing back. And then you've got Saliba, Louise, and I'm not sure because Collison actually is supposed to be leaving and Tierney's injured, but um, something looking like that, yeah. Kaya, are you back? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. I think that 
So what, the game against Leicester is really important for the future of a lot of those young guys who we've been speaking about just there. So I think if we go out in the Carabao Cup, there's not much point in keeping your Smith Rose is injured, he won't play, but your Reese Nelson, your Joe Willis, there's not much point in keeping them around. It's better to send them out alone and give them a bit of game time. But if we do then stay in the competition, then keep them around by all means and have them training with Arteta and have them learning under him and fitting into the system and playing in those cups. Is, uh, is, is ML Smith-Rowe not fit? Night? Night? Is Smith-Rowe no, fit? He's got an injury out for two more weeks, I think they were saying, before, before the game. So he's a little while off still. Interesting. Right. Anything else I should have asked you guys? Anything else you quickly want to say at the end? We no, got away with it. We got away with it. Yeah, he's not out for too long. They had um, 73 minutes. They put out the stat that they'd had eight attempts and we'd had one in the second half at home. Yeah. Not good. I will say I will say, Dave, I've never seen in recent times West Ham play that well. If you watch that game back, which I haven't yet, I don't, I can't even remember West Ham giving the ball away in the entire game cheaply. And normally West Ham just gift people opportunities to score. So I think all of this Arsenal talk for the last 35 minutes is all good and great. But sometimes you have to give a little round of applause to the other team who really, really played well. And they must be really unhappy that he gets something out of that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realise that Fellaini had had his hair shaved off and changed his name to Susek, for example. I didn't know that. Did you yeah. know that? <laughs> on that note, on that note, thanks, everyone. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you all again soon. And uh, hopefully I will enjoy this chat tomorrow when the pod comes out. Thank yeah. you. Nice. That'll be awesome. Bye.